Hey everyone, welcome to the Bible Pitches. <laughs> I am here oh. with Laura Barclay. And I'm here with Sarah Hoff, and you don't need to know nothing about us. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We've got Laura over here is rocking a Wake Forest University sweatshirt. That's where we both graduated from, so I'm just repping. <laughs> we got our di- we both got our div school degrees and then went in wildly separate directions. Yeah. Um, Sarah off to chase her dreams in LA and me to chase a bourbon in Louisville, Kentucky. (laughs) (laughs) Many dreams are discovered out here in Los Angeles. Mm. Most of them pretty tragic. Pretty pretty tragic. That's, I mean, (laughs) hey, it's true. That is where you, you all do have the best true crime stuff. It's true. It's pretty great. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. True, true crime served up with a side of palm tree. <laughs> I remember, I remember way back when I first moved out here and I was living in like a pretty shitty area. Like it's better mm-hmm. now, but it's still pretty shitty. And yeah. um, there were definitely rumors of a, like, I think they called him the Santa Monica stabber because he would just God. walk up and down Santa Monica Boulevard, stab people. Jesus. <laughs> I don't think he killed a lot of people. He would just stab them a weird mo <laughs> well you know there's there's a lot of uh a lot of medical mental health issues that are you know not well addressed out here truth uh i'm glad he didn't kill him that's good, that's good. <laughs> as far as i know right as far as she, as far as you know he could have escalated we don't know we're, we're yeah. just gonna we're gonna give it a happy ending right now yeah. we that's do. right he found them Assuming he was in a mental health crisis for, cause this was going on for like months, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. This wasn't just like a one-time thing. Yeah. This was not a spree, if you will. A spree. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. We, 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 we will hope he got the help he needed. But knowing America, probably not. <laughs> so. okay. Maybe he just got really into those like ax throwing bars. <laughs> yeah. You know? He channeled it in a positive direction. into competitive <laughs> ax throwing. Yeah. I like that. I like, I like to think that's, that's true. That's good. You, it's building on your strengths. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. It's really yeah. like finding a way to, uh, you know, monetize what you are passionate about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know who was really good at monetizing what they were passionate about? The Knights Templar. <laughs> Solid segue. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. It's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed you do. Today, we are talking about the Knights Templar and a part one of part two um, on said Knights Templar. Today, we're going to cover the origins and history. And next time, we're going to talk about um, some myths and like, are they still around and, you know, conspiracy theories and whatnot. Um, So this time, we're going to start out with the background. Yeah. And also, I would just like to say they are still around. I am one of them. And I'm excited to show you some of our rituals. (gasps) <gasps> Ooh! <laughs> I, yeah, just, just, just read the da vinci code that's that's just <laughs> gonna tell you all you need to know wait are you actually the holy grail sarah <laughs> part of me is <laughs> but <But-um-cha. laughs> <laughs> all right so origins of the night templar So much of what we talk about in this episode, unless cited otherwise, is from the Live Science article, Who Were the Knights Templar by Martin Contario. Contario? 
I think that's right. Rio. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Good. The Knights Templar were founded in Jerusalem somewhere between A.D. 1118 and 1119. This was the first, this was after the first crusade as a series of wars between 1096 and 1099 A.D. when the Catholic Church under Pope Urban II raised an army to take back Jerusalem and the Holy Land from the Seleucid Seleucid Turks who were Muslims. So the Knights Templar was essentially an order of devout Christian fighters who were dedicated to protecting Europeans traveling to the Holy Land, among other duties. So what caused the First Crusade? Well, Muslim Arabs defeated defeated the Christian Byzantines in the 7th century to control Jerusalem. Over the centuries, Christian Byzantines lost more and more land to Muslims, which meant less control of sacred Christian sites where tourists loved to visit and pay homage. Um, So this is essentially like they're losing their tourist trade. Um, By 1095 AD, Byzantine Emperor Alexios I Komimos had enough of this whole losing territory thing and asked Pope Urban II, which is a badass name for Pope, (laughs) for help. Uh, The Pope agreed, wanting all these holy sites back under Christian ownership. Also, you say Byzantine? I've always pronounced it byzantine yeah i don't know which one is right um i'm i'm from the south so i didn't do elongate my vowels <laughs> it's you're probably right no shame it, i guess that is a southern thing i used to say posthumous until i was corrected to posthumous oh okay yeah yeah. yeah yeah anyways who was involved largely peasants from all across europe in numbers estimated between 70 to 80 thousand from france flanders ned flanders <laughs> was, was wait was flanders its own country is it flanders at the time like a city i think it's now a region uh somewhere i've yeah. totally forgotten and like is it like Ger- in germany i think but it was its own thing at the time all right um yeah so in numbers estimating between 70 and 80k from france flanders germany and southern italy who left for jerusalem and fought a series of battles along the way to take back control of the territory this created four territories known as crusade states the county of odessa the principality of antioch the county of tripoli and the kingdom of jerusalem those are fun right i would like to live in a principality Yes, you should just create your own. <laughs> a principality in uh, you know, in West Hollywood. Yeah, my apartment is my principality. Los Los Feliz. <laughs> I'm staking yeah. my claim. Yes. <laughs> um okay, so um now we're getting to the creation of the Knights Templar. Okay, so there was a need to protect this holy land, govern it, and keep travelers safe. Remember back to those um, uh, tourists, the original tourists who would kind of come and look at these holy sites. So the Order of the Poor Knights of the Temple of Jerusalem, which was kind of a long and, you know, sloppy name. So they shortened it to the Knights Templar, was created by French nobleman Hugh de Pong. We neither one of us speak French, so we had to, Sarah looked it up. (laughs) We were practicing how to pronounce it before before the podcast. Yes. Okay. 
Claude de Payon was the original French nobleman who created the Knights Templar. Um, and he stayed behind in Jerusalem after visiting between 1114 and 1116 AD. Not much is known about him except that he was a French knight who probably fought in the First Crusade, was not very educated, but was a good fighter, and was from the Champagne region of France. Yes, there is a Champagne region of France. Um, fun side fact, I've heard this, and I don't know if it's true, Sarah, but Champagne can only be actual champagne if it's from the Champagne region of France. Yeah. All everything else is what, like it's like a bubbly, like a. Yeah. So they have different, different um, bubbly wines. Like there's Cava, there's Prosecco. Yes. Um, there's another one like a Moscato, which is a real sweet one. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and but I feel like there's another, huh? Yeah, yeah. So there's all these different kinds, but none of them are actually can can really formally be called champagne because they're not from this yeah. region. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so uh, the Knights Templar name um, actually came from their headquarters on the Temple Mount in the wing of a mosque that was thought to be built on top of King Solomon's temple. Mm. And now, what is their purpose? Quite the existential question. I'm still not sure what my purpose is. But we know what the Knights Templar purpose is. The Knights Templar might have started out as bodyguards for Christian pilgrims traveling to and from the Holy Land from bandits. <laughs> bandits. Always an issue. But they later were known to be strong warriors in battle. Though these knights were wealthy, they swore oaths of chastity and poverty and were initially supported by charitable do donations approved by the Pope through a local hospital in Jerusalem in 1113, but then were supported by tax dollars as the recognition of King Baldwin II of Jerusalem in 1120 during the Council of Nabulus. Nabulus? Nabulus? Nablus? I think, I think you have an extra Nablus. I that doesn't exist. Nablus. Yeah. Nablus. Nablus. I like how <laughs> most of this podcast is just us trying to pronounce words. <laughs> like, <laughs> We're not linguists. <laughs> you know, but we are super professional. That's right. <laughs> um, anyways, according to the National Geographic title article titled The Templar Got Rich Fighting for God Then Lost It All by Simon Worrell. The Templars were sometimes described as monk warriors, but that is slightly misleading. They weren't actually monks, though they did live in a monk-like existence, uh, originally modeled off the rule of the Cistercians. Cistercians? Cistercians, I think. I've heard that somewhere. It's it's like it's a it's an order of monks. All right. Yeah. And so they were like, hey, let's kind of uh rip some of their stuff and yeah. do what they're doing. Okay. Yeah. They don't so, they don't want to be full on monks. They want to like drink sometimes. Right. But they're like, I'll still just, you know, be a virgin. Who doesn't be. want well, that's contested. <laughs> I mean, who what doesn't want grog and sex? Well, and also, like, isn't there also this like low key vibe that it's the the issue is sex with other people, like with other people of the opposite sex? Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Well, I don't know that that's the case. I think it's just that it's easier to hide homosexuality if you're all in, a, in an order together, yeah. right? So, like, I I am I am positive that there was some you know covert homosexuality going on in the monk world in the nun world in the templar world like 
it's just, you know, it just makes sense. In the regular um, world. In the regular world. <laughs> All worlds. Yes. Um, so you might be wondering, like, okay, so they weren't Cistercians. They weren't actual monks. So what were the rules and codes that they followed? So this council, the Council of Nablus, um, codified 25 laws for the knights to follow, like fighting for faith and whatnot. In 1129, the Council of Troyes, sure, we're going to call it the Council of Troyes, uh, created a uh, 68 codes of conduct rooted in piety and zeal, dictating everything from how the knights should dress, wear their hair and beard, an amount of meat they could consume. <laughs> there is, an, there is Sarah, a holy amount and an unholy amount of meat. Like low-key, you know, that's just like one of those rules that's put in place for like the benefit of the community because it's like, listen, you're blowing up the bathroom and it's <laughs> yeah. too much. You need to get some fruits and vegetables in your diet. <laughs> you know? They're like, listen, Hugh, you dipon. They're like, <laughs> you eat five pounds of meat and then you stay, you stay in the bathroom all day screaming. And it's just because you need a vegetable. Okay? Yeah, just, and he's like, no, 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 like, no, okay, no. fine. We're, we're going to have to make a rule about this. Right. And yeah. here, I don't even think it's that like hard, right? You know, you've, you've eaten an unholy amount of meat when you start getting the meat sweats. <laughs> Is that a real thing? I mean, I've experienced the meat sweats. Um, it's whenever I start smelling like roast beef. <laughs> I, no, like I, I have other friends and like, we have, we have talked about this. Like if you, I don't, I really don't eat like that much meat, but like if I eat, if I or like any of some of my friends eat too much meat, like we'll, we'll be like, oh my God, I'm smelling like roast beef or I'm smelling like you know, like chicken doesn't really have a smell really, but like any sort of like more curated or like aromatic meats, I feel like if you st- <laughs> roast beef would be the worst one. Right. Right. I can. Yeah. It's not good. Especially. I think, I think it's also uh, like if you're out in the heat and stuff, it's gonna, it's gonna, you're going to sweat more. <laughs> So, listener, just think about that. Have you ever had the meat sweats? We want to know. Anyway, Listen, if you have, I'm deeply concerned about your arteries. <laughs> Y'all just the the moral of the story is eat more vegetables. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Anyways. Um. Anyways. Uh. So. Uh. On top of these rules, uh, other rules include that they could not have any contact with women, even their mothers and sisters. You know, because women are unclean and whatnot. These rules were eventually uh, made more flexible to get new recruits um, because they wanted to be around women. So for instance, people could be part-time Templars. Um, while some were traditional fighters, others were accountants or financiers who ran the monetary side of the organization. There were commanders in Jerusalem, Tripoli, Antioch, and elsewhere, and had various levels of people underneath them differentiated by what they wore. So contrary to what you might think, it was actually controversial to have a Christian organization existing to use violence for the faith. And there was actually a debate about it at the time, but their defense was essentially the Muslims made us do it, which is always a terrible defense. <laughs> they were like, oh, we were made to fight. We, you know, they took our sight. So we had to kind of paint a giant cross on us and go fight them. 
the ironically named Pope Innocent II provided cover for the Knights Templar with his papal bull, which is essentially a uh, document that says, I'm speaking from the office of the Vatican, therefore what I say goes, and spe I'm speaking for God. And it was called Omne Datum Optimum, Latin for every perfect gift, a quote from James, first, James chapter 1, 17, which had them only answerable to the Pope. It let them be excluded from paying taxes and it gave them the power to travel across borders. So they were, they were riding pretty high at this point. Did they, did they not have, was it a common thing to not have uh, the power to cross borders? I, well, I think the question was, was like, who are they answerable to? You know, like who, who are they supposed to be answerable to? And at this point, it's only the Pope versus before maybe they were only using, it seemed like they started out as this protection force, right? For travelers to the Holy Land but now they could sort of expand their purpose a little bit and just be these like Christian, like loose band of Christian fighters who aren't paying taxes and are just essentially only answerable to the Pope. So they're like kind of above state law. Yeah. Yeah. Or so they're really like, and, and uh, so they're, if, if the Pope is kind of the most um, recognizable figure at this point in time in Christendom, then they kind of have more power than any given soldier from, or general from a country. That's super fun. It's like a, it's like the original UN. Only they're not working for peace. They're working for Christendom. So, not great. Is the UN <laughs> really working for peace? Is yeah. what? <laughs> Nothing. Oh yeah. I mean, that's a question, right? <laughs> Anyways, so um, they grew in wealth and didn't have to pay taxes. And uh, I think we all know what happens when you're given a lot of money and a lot of power. It Not works great. out well. Everybody, so well. you know, ethical and on the up and up. So um, you know, they're kind of like Jeff Bezos and started building projects both in Europe and the Holy Land. They put all of their wealth into guarding these buildings. They offered financial services and even served as financial managers for the French government. So they're like a competent version of Pope, or uh, sorry, a competent version of Trump with real estate and Warren Buffett combined. Is Trump a competent real estate mogul? Yeah, no, like they're a competent oh, okay. version. Yeah, they're a competent right. version of Trump. So I think massive real estate person plus the financial prowess of Warren Buffett. Like they're kind of both of those things in one. Okay, got it. Got it. Yeah. So with this kind of success, how are they not still around? Spoiler, conspiracy th theorists think they are, like me. According to Nat Geo, during the Fifth Crusade from 1213 to 1222, the Pope was using Templars as tax collectors because they had the ability to go around, collect taxes, and move it to the Crusades. During the Crusades, Louis IX was captured and the Templars weighed in weighed in and paid the financial installments for his ransom, which they were able to raise in a day from cash held on their ships. That's the kind of ally you want. Just somebody that can show up and just, you know, pay your bail. <laughs> Scrooge, uh, like uh, Scrooge McDuck style. Yeah. 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 So he just has to like, you know, get into that money pit, fill his pockets with coins and then come out. <laughs> Perfect. 
Um, so they're riding so high. How did they end? This was kind of like a, a solid crash. Um, when the Crusades ended, Muslims still controlled the Holy Land. So they were awash. I mean, you know, they, they fought all these different crusades and then the Muslims were still in control. Uh, someone needed the blame. And the Knights Templar seemed like a very uh, convenient target because they were created in part to protect the Holy Land for Christians. So they retreated to Cyprus after losses in 1291 AD. They, many wanted all the smaller organizations to combine that were created to protect this Holy Land and go actually retake it together. King Philip IV of France was in a good deal of debt to the Templars and had them arrested on a Friday the 13th in 1307 AD and took their money and property. The charges against them were very likely false and or ridiculously worded references to their ceremonies to bring about an expedient end, spitting on the cross, worshiping idols, and kissing each other. The kissing was in reference to the kiss of peace many Christians would use in greeting at the time. So they were tortured and they confessed, you know, under duress, so it probably wasn't legit. Pope Clement V absolved and eventually disbanded them in 1312 AD. The last Grand Master, Jacques de Molay, was burned at the stake in Paris in 1314 AD. According to Nat Geo, as Jacques de Molay dies, one eyewitness says the Templar master asked God to take revenge on the people who had tormented him. Within a year, both Philip IV of France and Pope Clement V were dead. But did some survive? And what happened to them if so? And do they still exist today? Is did Friday the third did like the whole deal with Friday the thirteenth as a like a negative horror kind of deal? Is that from this? I think so. I actually think this was the the original. Like, it's it's that plus it's an imperfect number. Mm. Um, you know, because because sevens are supposed to be thought of as perfect in Christianity seven days, you know, is a week. And so two sevens is 14. Yeah. There you go. So this Look is one that. of the OG uh, references to why Friday the 13th is bad. Plus it's an imperfect number. Um, I uh, got married on a Friday the 13th. So <laughs> it was so much cheaper. <laughs> you have no idea how much cheaper it is to get married on a Friday the 13th. <laughs> I believe it. I can believe it. <laughs> I like a good deal. You're just embracing the imperfectness of it all. Yeah. Yeah. We just leaned in. We were like, everything could go terribly, but. But it, it went it, great. It, it went great. Yeah. It was yeah. a fun day. It was fun. Super yeah. fun. So, yeah. Um, so next episode, we're going to find out what happened to the Templars. Are they still around? What are the conspiracy theories? What are the myths? Um, so put on your tinfoil hat for the next episode, y'all. <laughs> done and done. And I mean done. <laughs> Sarah already has hers on. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, thank you to uh, Miss Eves, who is who does our intro and outro music. We love her. She's great. Um, and uh, check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, you can check out check us out on basically any of those platforms and uh you know yeah, find us, us on 
our huh? website, our website, our yes. brand spanking new website, uh, which also has a link to our Patreon, which you should definitely um, help become an honorary Bible bitch because you get not only the honorific title of Bible bitch, um, you get to help us make fun episodes for you to listen to. Um, and you can find that website at BibleBitchesPodcast.com. Indeed. Um, and also you can check us out on uh, Instagram at, at Bible Bitches Podcast or Twitter at Bible Bitches. Correct. Wonderful. We'll see you right. next time for part two. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. All right. Take care, y'all. Bye. Bye.